Uh, it's so nice to be back again. Um, if you hadn't scheduled that last night event, I would have likely been on a flight and made it to church almost on time in Athens. Uh, my wife said two weekends away. That's it, Jonathan. Pick your two. And it's three. Today's the third weekend. But when I told her, I said, sweetheart, there's Stuart planned a, an event that we won't get home until 10 o'clock at night. And uh, what do you think? Should we just get that extra day and be in fellowship with this wonderful team on Sunday morning? It's okay, Jonathan. You need to be there. So... Um, but uh, what a joy it is to be here with you. Um, I did come with Jeff and visited the church on Saturday. We did our, our, our casual walking. Well, it's not so casual with Jeff when you try to keep up with him. Uh, but we did come and um, we made it just over the hill from his house through the woods under the power lines. And he says, okay, we've got to turn around and go back because I think it was bacon and eggs were were the order for the breakfast. Carmel does such a wonderful job. I mean, even breakfast is like for royalty. And we didn't want to be late, but I said, Jeff, I have, to, I have to get into the church. I wanted to see how much progress was being made, you know, if there was like any bolt that had been loosened or anything. And what would I see on Sunday morning here? And uh, it was just so good just to come here and pray over all the empty seats and then do my casual wandering around and affirming that, yes, this church is indeed too small for what God is doing here. But not what God is doing here. It's about what God is doing everywhere through you. That's the important thing. And uh, that's why this church needs to grow. Um, but every time I come, I realize there's more in common that we share together. Uh, it's not about coming and telling you about Greece. It's, it's about learning about what God is doing in your lives. And believe it or not, I really believe that God has me here to encourage my heart, to strengthen my inner being, to, to reaffirm that He is King, that it's the mountain that we run to where the fountain of grace and peace are the source for all of us to live in and to live from. And so as I hear the stories and I hear what God is doing through you, uh, but then, you know, I come and I see, well, there's an improvement there. We've got fans. And I thought to myself, I wonder if those fans are like the fans at our church that when the service is running, you got to shut them off because they make too much noise. Yes, it's the same. It's the same. Um, so there's all these little nuances that encourage my heart. It's like, man, I mean, even the way you guys do your service. I used to say, we would like to have a church that looks like this or feels like this. And I text Justin, and I read my text message, and I thought, oh, my goodness, things have changed. I said, they're doing church just like us. <laughs> so it was a good feeling to come and sense that even... In the spirit, there's certain things of the way that you celebrate Jesus uh, that are common to us, even in form. Um, and then I'm constantly learning something new about Stuart and things we have in common. But he promised, he, he asked me to promise him that I won't tell some very personal stories that <laughs> would, have been, would have been great this morning for some good laughter. 
but he asked me, so I'm still trying to decide whether or not uh, to share, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, so I just want to thank you as a body. I want to thank you as individuals. I want to thank you as families. I want to thank you as leadership. I want to thank you for the personableness of this relationship that is so ministered to my heart, uh, from the sheets and the bed that give rest to the warmth of this fellowship. And um, Ross and Heather, you, don't, you guys don't know what it means to have a part of your fellowship with us in ministry. Um, Stuart made the mistake. He called me up one day. I can still remember where I was standing, outside of City Church, Monday morning. We got to talking, and he asked, so Jonathan, what, what is your greatest need for prayer? And it didn't take me long to, to think of what I needed. I said, I need a partner in ministry. The ministry has grown. I've given away all of my leadership to run aspects of the ministry. We have about 12 different uh, ministry teams that are like small missions in and of themselves. And uh, the work is expanding uh, through communities around the world. And I just needed someone to, that I could talk with, someone that I could think with, someone that could help me understand where we're going and how we're going to get to where we're going on an international scale. And I said, I just need a partner in ministry that can keep up with my pace and that, you know, we can share our hearts and take the ministry to the next level. And um, I could never have imagined. There are times where I look at Ross and I said, just like, how did this happen? And when you look at the experience and the wealth of understanding and background and all of that cumulative wisdom that comes through life experience so specifically knitted together for such a specific task to have someone that fits this role so uniquely on our executive team is just unbelievable. It's just truly unbelievable. It's one of the miracles that I sense the Lord has gifted us with. And for Heather, this last two years, there's been this incredible shift in our hearts about the burden for prayer. It's like we've got to establish our ministry on prayer. And if you know Heather at all, you know, when, when Paul says, pray at all times, and we wonder, how does that work? You meet Heather, you understand how that works. And it's just part of the flow of God's grace to us and through this wonderful couple. And it's been such an encouragement to have you. And then to meet Anne this morning, even in the meet and greet section, and to know what is the fabric of this relationship here. It extends to family. And uh, I met Mark and, and uh, Stephanie at the door, and it was like, yes, these are the... And then Andrew and Jess and your, and your children, and to know that you are sacrificing as a family, literally sacrificing your desires to enable the kingdom of God to continue to extend deeper and further than the realms of this church beyond the, the horizon and up against the world of Islam. And I just want to say thank you. If I don't do anything else this morning, just to say thank you for your love for the Lord Jesus as a community and a continual effort to just hear the voice of the Lord, 
and respond to him in obedience. So I want to say thank you with all my heart. Thank you to you, Stuart and Bronwyn, for your love and your friendship. I just, it's a gift from the Lord for me. I, I, I turn to my staff sometimes and I just ask, how is this happening? Why is it that a pastor on the other side of the world would have this relationship, this intense relationship with us on this side of the globe? So thank you so much. And, um, you know, as I keep coming back and I hear the stories and feel the love and the warmth of hospitality, Jeff and Carm and Libby and your family and the relationships of the board members that some of them are here. Eddie, thank you uh, for your grace and love and service. Um, one thing that I'm experiencing is that the Lord is bringing us together, not only to share in our joys, but also to share it in our struggles. Hmm? The Christian life's not a, a nice veneered, come to the Lord Jesus and everything will go well in your life. It's come to the Lord Jesus and experience the reality of what it means to follow Jesus obediently carrying our cross, suffering under the weight and burdens. You see, it's, it's Jesus' heart that he's sharing with us. Western civilization is moving into just this flow of hedonism where it's all about you. Spin in that little wheel of activity. What do you call those pets? Those um, hamsters. Spin in the hamster wheel a little bit faster and you might have your dream home. Might make your life a little more comfortable. The message of the world is all about you. You can have it all. And the message of the cross is completely in the opposite direction. Come to Jesus and understand his heart, which really, at the end of the day, is a broken heart for the lostness of mankind. He wants us to enter into his suffering, into the reality of his brokenness for a lost world. He says, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross and follow me. It's not a message of sorrow. It's a message of hope. It's a message of resurrection. It's a message of power. It's a message of alignment with his righteousness. And when we can sh make that shift in our minds and embrace the pain and the reality of our oneness with him, <clears throat> the Lord begins to express himself and show us of his nature. And we, keep, we begin to see Jesus in everything around us. We begin to see Jesus show up in the details. And it's a wonderful place to be. Um, so now I need my notes.
I loved show and tell as a kid, so I'm going to get that over with. Um, we are going to talk about the cross. I do, I guess all I want to say is that in my introduction is that the more I get to know each of you and this fellowship, I think it's more a journey of supporting and strengthening one another and encouraging one another in being faithful to him and bearing one another's burdens. I think that's what the body of Christ is all about. It's not the veneer of a super church glossed over with a wonderful new sanctuary. It's the call to his suffering and to walking faithfully through all that he gives us to experience. This summer, I know that the church won't be sending an official team uh, but July 3 to 12, just so you know, and at least you can be in prayer, uh, Operation Joshua, our challenge to uh, distribute um, Bibles throughout Greece. Um, we're enjoying this experience. We've reached our first million homes with God's Word. Thank you very much for your partnership in that. Uh, but we have another 700,000 to go. Uh, so we're continuing this summer as well, July 3 to 12. If any of you are interested, even independent, I know the church will uh, pray for you and encourage you to come. A wonderful opportunity to experience Greece as a family. Bring your children. Um, come and add a few days of holiday. We'll be on the eastern side of Greece, on the Ionian, uh, near Corfu. A beautiful uh, vacation area, white beaches. Do I have to say more? Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> Then next Easter, 2019, we're planning on something that I'm told that will be really difficult for Australians to join in for just a short event. But we're actually, people are beginning to ask, what are we going to do after we reach all of Greece with God's Word? Well, they're the cities where the other half of the population live. Uh, and uh, while that can be a daunting task, we're getting really excited about e celebrating Easter, by the way. What an incredible thing to be able to, to know that you guys are going to meet in the town square, not, not a real big square, but anyway, that you'll be meeting in the public area there in the marketplace downtown. Um, uh, and we're, we're planning to do something similar, uh, but uh, invite an international community of people to celebrate Easter together in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, by the way, if you didn't make the connection, First and Second Thessalonians, written to that city um, where Paul visited and one of the early churches started. Uh, and what we want to do is we want to see the we want to see Greece as a, not only a stepping stone to the east, but a, a gateway, a place where the east meets the west. And we're making an effort to bring, as you know, thousands of refugees have come through Greece, but they're coming from lands where the church is struggling. And we want to see isolated believers that are paying a high price for their faith to be able to come and join us at Operation, what we're calling it is just Anastasi, the Greek word for resurrection, Anastasi 2019. And uh, we want to see if God would bless us with 500 people, with 600, 800, 1,000, whatever it is that he wants to bring. And if we have people from Europe, from the Middle East, North Africa, from the struggling church where to be a Christian means that you pay a price for your faith, to bring them together and to celebrate the power of the resurrection together. And then to go into the streets and distribute 
Our desire is to cover Thessalonica in one Easter, one Easter outreach uh, with 350,000 Bibles. Maybe God has in mind what he did with the Greek islands during the Olympics. We didn't get them all covered during the Olympics. And that led to a second season of outreach to the islands. So, but we're very, very keen on what God is going to do in helping us uh, make an impact in the larger cities across Greece. So if anybody wants there's a, some brochures that will be in the back. Um, what, I think, what I think we'll do now at this point is we'll just run a little video, which will give a little bit of a backdrop to, for some of those who maybe don't know who Hellenic Ministries is and what we do. And um, it's what I used for my board report. Um, our board um, needs a report every year, and instead of boring them with too much detail, I put together a small multimedia presentation. And uh, so as you guys gear up for the AGM, this was my report to our AGM, or our annual board. And um, it might confuse you a little bit, because it starts out with uh, as, as some view from a small airplane flying over the jungles. And uh, I know that you associate our ministry and lives with Greece, but this small little airplane uh, represents our experience over Christmas when the governor of West Papua sent us tickets that we received 48 hours before we had to, leave, to board the plane uh, to fly back to Papua and to celebrate Christmas with him in his grand palace in honor of what God had done through our parents. He flew 38 of us McCreases back. Our entire family, four generations, my mom, all of us six siblings, our kids, and, our one, and my one grandchild, four generations, to witness and experience Papua. And uh, then we, he was very gracious to put us on a flight, and it just so happened that the flight was with the small airline service, if you want to call it uh, an airline. But the flight program that my dad started uh, over 50 years ago in the interior of West Papua. And uh, we flew back with a national who had been born in a hut, and now, because of the gospel, had been educated come to know the Lord, came to Australia, and was captaining the aircraft, a $1.7 million aircraft, and piloted us back into the interior where we reconnected with our roots after having left West Papua 40 years ago to start the ministry in Greece. And the surprise of people still living that I recognized and remembered. You'll see some of those emotional scenes in, that, in the first few minutes of the footage. And then we'll share a little bit about the book, If I Had Two Lives. There's a little clip on that. And it describes a little bit of our journey. And, and uh, for those of you who may not know that part of our history, of uh, my mom and dad in 1962 going back to Papua and serving the Lord among um, the, the, the indigenous movement there, uh, deep in the jungles, um, making some of the first contacts. And then if you watch carefully, um, the video, that little video section will end. And there'll be a picture of my mom, uh, who about 60 years ago uh, made her first contact with my dad, of course, but the picture's with my mom and a bunch of other ladies. And then if you watch carefully, there's a flash to January 3 of 28, 2018. Um, so it's just 
again, to show the faithfulness of the Lord and of, of his gift of life uh, for service. And then we'll show some little clips about some of the highlights of what God is doing through Hellenic Ministries in Greece, and then of some statistics at the end. So bear with us. If you can keep my mic on, I can help explain what we're seeing. It was a really cloudy day that day. Here we are cruising into the jungles. My dad, that river there that you see on the left is where the Lord spoke to my father and told him, throw your anchor here. After 10 days of travel by a small boat all the way around the coast, and Dad literally carved this place out of the jungle, but also another 21 outposts like it. Um, the emotion, the tears were streaming down my face as we made this approach. I couldn't believe that I was back to where I remembered as a kid growing up in the heat and the humidity with the mud through my toes. Uh, it, was just, it was just too much to, to believe. And then to meet my friends and it was just, yeah. <laughs> Kai was praying for 40 years that we would come back. It was just, just yeah. These are, these are our, this is a part of our family. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ who have put their faith in the Lord. He's, he's saying, I, I fed you guys, I carried you, I washed your clothes when you were kids. This guy's brother was the chief of the village. My dad, Costas Macris, on the left here, raised in an aristocratic family in Athens, Greece. But this incredible love of God took him around the world, up this river, and uh, allowed us to present the gospel to people that otherwise would have never had the opportunity to hear. Medicine was a way to bless the people. I'm there in mom's lap at one of the first baptisms. Another baptism in the interior. Bobo, the head hunter, was part of that baptismal service, assisting dad as an elder in the church. And then in 79, our lives changed and went to another jungle of concrete to bring the gospel of the Lord. Jesus to the Orthodox community. We ended up in, in, in a court case with a three-and-a-half-year prison sentence for sharing the, the word of the Lord, the scriptures. Here's on Mars Hill, just a few meters from where the Apostle Paul first brought the gospel to the Athenians.
You can also find the story of Dad's life on Amazon. Here's Mom, nearly 60 years ago on January 3rd in the highlands of Papua. But for those of you who came and joined us uh, this summer, this would have been your experience and something similar of this nature will be uh, an event that you'll experience as uh, we present opportunities for worship together and a little taste of Greece. During Operation Joshua, thank the Lord that we're about 400 people from over 20 countries that can come together to distribute God's Word. to 262 villages and we managed to cover the largest city we've ever done dropping 42,000 Bibles in one day uh, to the fifth largest city of Greece. Uh, all of this with 125,000 Bibles distributed put us over the 1 million mark in our Operation Joshua history of Bible distribution for the country of Greece. In our darkest hours, we have blessed the nation with God's word during Greece's worst economic crisis. People's hearts have been opened and they've received the gospel with gladness. Planting is an outgrowth of Operation Joshua with the goal of seeing a hundred churches planted in the next few years. Our mercy ministry to over 40,000 people a year with medical, with training, with teaching, with education programs for refugees, our work on the island of Lesbos and relief, maritime ministry to the islands, evangelism at the seaports, our camp, um, our crisis pregnancy center, the Hope Center, a, gyps, a school for Roma Gypsy children who've never held a pencil, a weekly evangelistic uh, televised programs, youth outreach to the down and out, bringing pastors together for, to infuse a vision for church planting across our country and what we call Refresh. Would you now turn toward us? For the first time, to try and do us. My brother Harris is serving with HM in Uganda. Missions is close to our heart. Young people visiting countries surrounding Greece. Our little fellowship at City Church. <clears throat> this part was more intended for the board.
Often I'm asked, uh, was there a res- any response to the Bibles that were distributed this year? And I'll just share one very quick story, and I want to get into the Word a little bit. Uh, but after our coming back from Papua, uh, my mom and dad, my mom rather, and my wife and my sister and my sister-in-law all were invited to a ladies' service in the First Evangelical Church. After the service, my mom said, I don't want to go home. Can we go out for coffee? And so out for coffee, they went only that the cafe that they had in mind was closed. It was later in the evening. They went to the next cafe that my sister remembered in the area, only to find there was nobody there. They went in, they sat down, and they waited. And a waitress came out and asked how they were doing. And my sister doesn't miss an opportunity to, you know, say we were at church. A nice way to advertise. Oh, we just came from church. Oh, well, what were you doing at church at this time? Oh, we were, we got to share about our story to Papua. Papua. And then the lady goes, that reminds me of something. Not knowing who she was speaking and telling her story to, she began to talk about an event that happened in her life six years ago. She said, six years ago, on vacation in the town of Tolo. I was there for vacation with my son. I was heartbroken. My sister-in-law had passed away. I had this intense need to read the Scripture. But to read the Scripture in the modern Greek, if only I was in Athens, maybe I could find a Bible. Her son went out for something and came back in five minutes later and said, Mom, look what I found. On the bag, it said, God loves you. And she opened it. She's relating her story now. She said, I opened the bag, and there was this this Bible. And the amazing thing is, is it was in modern Greek. God had answered my prayer. And so began reading and found her joy. A few days later, her sister comes from California and says, where did you find this Bible? And she also needed a Bible and didn't have one. And she says, well, I was in during the summer, had this great need and and it landed on my in my doorstep. And um, she continues to tell the story and said, you know, there were some brochures inside the packet and I. And I found one that it had this story about this Greek family that um, believed in God. And, and they did this amazing thing. This, they spoke about the love of God and, and how they went all the way to Papua. And they lived among these uh, you know, natives and they brought the gospel to them as well. And, uh, and then my sister, of course, not able to contain herself, waiting for, for the woman to finish her story. Uh, said, uh, do you know who you're speaking to? She said, this woman here, pointing to my mom, is the woman that you read about. And with great joy, she just got up and began hugging them, tears streaming down her, her face. I'm thinking to myself, what does it take for God to reach one person? If we were alone, we could have never done it. It took hundreds of people to come and distribute God's word. I'm in Adelaide, 
and we're in a home, and we're just enjoying supper, and we asked the family, how did your vacation go in Greece? And she said, we went to visit all our relatives, and my, our desire was to pray with each of them. And we were able to pray with all of our cousins and relatives, and we had one more. It was the atheistic cousin. That is the hardest to say anything to. We've, not, we've just given up. And we got to her house, and my wife was saying, Chris, don't even try. And, my, and, and Chris was telling the story how the, how the cousin that was an atheist, she stopped and told him, she says, you're not going to believe this. She says, God has a sense of humor. I'm the only one in our family that, that calls myself an atheist. And in God's sense of humor, he brought a Bible to my doorstep. Plus the one you gave me, that's two Bibles in my home. The lady next door received the Bible as well. And the lady next door said, we need to burn these Bibles. The heretics have brought them. And she says, don't you dare burn these Bibles. She goes, why is that? She says, the people who came all the way to our village on the edge of town, high in the mountains where we're at, she says, they didn't only come to us. They gave a Bible to everyone down the street. Do you realize how much hard work they did? Do you realize that somebody sacrificed personally to bring this beautiful scripture to our door? So here's the atheistic aunt calming down her neighbor who thought we were all heretics. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't need heroes. We're so grateful to the Lord about my dad and his ministry. But he just needs faithful people that will carry their cross and be obedient. This little bag represents something from Papua. The first thousand dollars from indigenous pastors that when they heard of our need to bring the gospel to the Greek people, took up an offering that we couldn't hold. And uh, one pastor took off, took his little noken off, took his Bible and notebook and pen out and gave this to us to put the money in uh, so that we could go to Greece and help the gospel message spread. What will it take to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? Every one of us. This is going to be a very quick summary. So bear with me. Paul, Romans chapter 1. Who was Saul? Changes, goes through a name change. Your name is important. You are important. Your identity is important. Who? A servant. Dulos. Dulos and ergo. You can either go to your ergasia or you can go to your dulia or dulia. The one is a creative work. The other is a place being subjected to the orders of another. Dulia is a workplace where someone else is the boss. Ergasia is a creative space where you make a painting, you compose music, you do something that comes from your soul. Paul knew the difference, and he chose to call himself a dulos, employed. 
with a lord or king or someone that he was subservient to. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be what? Called to be an apostle. Another two antithesis. Called to Jesus Christ, apostolos, apostle, postal system. That's the root of it. The post is where we get our messages delivered to us. Called to Jesus to be sent with a message. Every one of you has been called for the purpose of being sent. Our identity is so critical, but it can only be found in the nature of God's big plan and canvas that spreads through eternity, the gospel. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, and then he describes it. It's almost as though Paul just backs into this big tapestry of history, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was a descendant from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God, in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord in the present, Paul is speaking, within his lifetime, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, whom we have received grace and apostleship. It's not just his apostleship. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of what? For the sake of his name, where? Among all nations. That is the gospel. The gospel is not come to the Lord Jesus and your life will be better. The gospel is founded in the prophets, the resurrection of Jesus, the proclamation of his name to be made, made great, where? Among all the nations. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. To all of those of you in, at Eltham, to all of you who are in Eltham, called to be saints, graced with peace for the apostleship of Jesus Christ, to be part of this incredible story. Your identity means nothing outside of the gospel. Paul's identity meant nothing outside of the gospel. Romans 16. Told you it'd be fast. Paul greets everyone he knows in the church of Rome. Verse 3 of 16. Greet Pris Prisca, Aquila. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just list some of the names. My beloved Epaneotus. Greet Mary, uh, greet Andronicus, Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are all well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. They were also imprisoned for the gospel. Greet Urbanus, comes from the urban city, city dweller. Our fellow worker in Christ and beyond, verse 10. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet Aristobulus, my kinsman Herodian, and on and on. 
uh, Trifania and Trifosia, Greek names. Persis, someone from Persia, from Persia. Then verse 13, Greek, Greek Rufus. Remember this one. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Remember this little verse. It will come back to it. Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers with them. Philologos, lover of the logos, lover of words. Julia, Nerissus, and the sister Olympus. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We do that well in Greece. We kiss often. It's all holy. Learn to greet each other with a holy kiss. All the, all the churches of Christ greet you. What is it going to take? What was it going to take for Paul to get to Spain? It was going to take everybody in the new church established in Rome to help him get to Spain. You see how Paul's identity is just completely embraced by this big canvas. Everybody is needed to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are needed to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Very briefly, I want to ask if you're a passerby on this story of life or if you too have found your identity in this story. Mark chapter 15. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and... Rufus, to carry his cross. The spotlight's on Jesus, and there's a passerby who is not an apostle. He was just a passerby through Jerusalem on that day. And he stood out, and the Roman guards saw him, and he stood out because he was tall, he was strong, he was black. He was from Cyrene. And Mark takes the time to recognize him as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Simon of Cyrene, if we look in Acts chapter 13, is one of the first elders of the church in Antioch. There were those elders from Cyrene, and Cyprus, Barnabas from Cyprus, and Simon of Cyrene. And when Barnabas went to get Paul to come and help him in Antioch as the church expanded into the Gentile community, likely Paul lived in Simon's home, and Rufus now, as a result of the gospel, as he's greeted here in Rome, has grown, but Rufus met Paul, and Simon's mother was a mother to Paul as well during that year. Isn't that cool? Okay, so, and with this I'll close. Are you a passerby? If you are, it's okay. Jesus will call you to himself. Simon had an encounter with Jesus. People everywhere are on their journey for their encounter with Jesus. 
We are called to carry our cross. Simon of Cyrene is the only person in the world that physically carried the cross of Jesus and shared in his suffering. But just bear with me. Simon's a passerby, and he gets called out to carry Jesus' cross. So he comes to the place of suffering. Jesus has, has just crumbled under the weight of your sin as he's climbing the hill of Golgotha. And as Simon is called to experience this reality, I imagine that in order to pick up the cross that has crushed Jesus by its weight, Simon of Cyrene has stepped over Jesus to come under that cross and to bear it. You know what's beautiful about this story? If you're carrying a cross this morning, Jesus has already been there. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that hasn't already crushed him. But it's in that encounter with the grace and peace that Paul speaks about where you will find the power to speak of the resurrection. Embrace whatever the Lord gives you. Don't be a passerby. Come close to the cross and allow its power of the resurrection to give you that sense of hope that we need to share with the ends of the earth. May the Lord bless us as we continue to follow him in submission and in fellowship with one another and with Jesus.